Okay, just a little different this week. Not not entirely different, but a little bit. So I want to I want to share my story with you, uh, my my background, right? Who who is Father Brian? Uh, and then I'll I'll explain why I'm I'm sharing that. But I think I think just just to begin with this. So who who am I? My I'm Father Brian, of course. Many of you know this. Um, I grew up in Crookston, um, and I grew up in a family that didn't go to mass on Sundays. Never, like we almost never went to mass on Sundays. Uh, the only exceptions, there were, there were a few exceptions, right? So there was the exception of uh, Christmas and Easter, of course, that's because everyone goes to Mass on those days. Um, and then when, I was, when my brother and I were preparing for First uh, Communion, we went to Mass then, only occasionally. And, and then, even then, when, when we went to Mass, it was on like a Saturday evening, and it was always a secret joy to me when uh, we were going up for Communion uh, in, in the Communion line, and my mom took her purse with her because... That meant we weren't staying. <laughs> so we go to communion and then sneak out the back, you know, like, and I was just like, yes, this is great. Because I had no interest. I had no interest. And then another exception was uh, my grandparents, one of my sets of grandparents had a lake place. And we would go, we'd go out there pretty frequently during the summer. And they went to mass, of course. Um, so we would, anyone who's out there, any of their kids. So a bunch of my cousins would pile into the, the bed of my dad's pickup and we would jump in and just drive to Mass. And again, no, no real interest of being there. Uh, so no, no Mass, certainly no confessions, uh, no prayer life, no real moral life at home. My parents taught my brother and I to be like good kids, but not, not at all because of our Christian faith, just because that's what you're supposed to do, to be a good kid and to don't get, don't get in any trouble, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, my parents are, are, are uh, not that much different from most people in their generation, right? Which is that they were raised in good Catholic homes, but there was something that just wasn't quite caught. Uh, and, and so that's just how my brother and I were raised, that this wasn't, this wasn't something that was um, really important to us at all. And, and that, so that was my life. I, I was a good kid. I, I didn't want to get in trouble. I was afraid of getting in trouble. Um, but no, no prayer. The only times I prayed were, were like when my parents got divorced when I was in sixth grade and I prayed that God might do something about that. But even as I was praying, I just sort of had this understanding like he wasn't going to do anything about it. Um, I also prayed, you know, like if I saw a, a young lady that had caught my attention, you know, it's like, Lord, if you want to make her like me, you know, that'd be, never really worked out for me. Uh, but, but nonetheless, like those were, the, those were the examples of when I prayed. Uh, very, very minimal. Uh, at the same time, my parents always uh, sent my brother and I to religious ed classes on Wednesdays. So in Crookston, this is how it worked then. I, I'm not sure if it works the same way now, but how it worked then was on Wednesdays in the afternoon during the school day, they would bus all of us kids over to the cathedral and we would do religious ed classes. But again, I, I had no real interest of being there. The only thing that I was interested in is when we got to the cathedral, we'd go into the gym and in the gym in the very center was this big table that had like piles of snacks on it. And, and so it's like, oh man, this is great, free snacks, right? Like this is, this is what I was living for on Wednesdays. And if you were really sneaky, sometimes you could kind of, you know, walk around the table and take a couple of snacks without getting caught. Like that, that, was, that was it. So that, that was my life. And then when I was preparing for confirmation, so we, we know this in the Diocese of Crookston, generally speaking, the age of confirmation is 11th grade or around that time period. And uh, I was preparing for confirmation, but again, not, not, I wasn't going to classes even then. I wasn't interested, um, but I knew that this was something that was coming up. It might have been my grandparents reminding me or something. And um, I had a job working at the pizza place in town, or one of the pizza places in town, Happy Joe's. And one of the managers at Happy Joe's was 
always talking about his Catholic faith and he was just so happy to go to mass and all these things. And so I half-heartedly, jokingly asked him to be my confirmation sponsor. I said, well, you should be my confirmation sponsor. And he agreed to, and I was just like, this is great. I don't have to try to do any, like I don't have to go looking for someone. I just get to ask this guy and it's like a big joke. But then once he agreed to that, he told me um, that the upcoming summer, so this would have been between my 10th and 11th grade year, uh, the upcoming summer, there was gonna be a camp in our diocese, the Diocese of Crookston, uh, three nights, four days. And at this camp, uh, he was sure that I should go and that it would change my life, that this was gonna be life-changing for me. So one thing that's really important to know about me is that I'm very competitive. So when someone tells me that they're sure something is gonna change my life, my first response is like, no, it's not, right? Or if someone tells me like, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, I'm just like, no, I don't actually have to do this, right? That's my initial response. So when this guy told me about this retreat and how it's gonna be so life-changing for me, I was like, all right, I'll go on the retreat. Not because I'm interested in my life being changed, but because I'm interested in coming back from the retreat to tell you that you were wrong and that my life wasn't changed. Like that was my disposition going into this retreat, really just like trying to wait out the time. At this retreat, once I got there, of course this guy turned out to be right, um, here I am, right? Uh, but, but at this retreat, one of the first things they talked about was talking about how your Catholic Christian faith is like making an investment, right? So you got to imagine you got a big pile of money in front of you, and if you don't do anything with that money, you, sh you would never expect it to grow. In fact, you'd, if anything, you'd expect it to diminish. Why? Because you're going to end up spending it. But if you invest it wisely, then you're going to get back not only what you put in, but you're gonna get back with interest or with, with the gains that you get from the investment. So I'm not, I'm not really like a money guy, but I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. And that made sense to me. Like you gotta invest something in order to make something. And they said, your relationship with Jesus is the same way. If you're not going to mass, if you're not praying, if you're not investing in a relationship with him, then there's no reason to expect any kind of importance that God would have in your life at all. But once you start doing those things, uh, praying and going to confession and, and going to mass, investing in a relationship, then the way that God works is that he's going to give back to you not only what you put in, but then he's going to give back with interest. This is how God works. And so I was like, okay, I guess, I guess that makes sense. And then on top of that, the, the people who were there, like the camp counselors, they, they were all people that, that I would want to be like, you know, like people who are smart and funny and athletic and attractive, you know, like all the things that fit my, my personality, right? Like... That was a joke. I was kidding. Um, anyway, so, so uh, like th these were the kinds of people that they were. And so I was like, oh, man, this, like, this is great. So in other words, what happened was I just bought in, right? I decided to buy in. At, the, at this camp, we had mass every day, uh, which was great because I, I certainly wasn't in the habit of going to mass. And, and the homilies, I remember listening to them. and I was like, wow, this is actually good, right? Because, like, I, again, I wasn't used to that. We, we had Eucharistic adoration, uh, with, with praise and worship music, and I loved it. I, I just loved it. You know, they talked about the Eucharist, uh, about how the Eucharist is not just bread and wine, but, but when the priest prays the prayer, that, that we as Catholic Christians believe that the bread and the wine change into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And, and this is where it talks about it in Scripture. And I, they said that, and I believed it. And I was like, this is amazing. We, we have this. I went to confession for the first time since my first confession, so 10 years in between about. Uh, and it was great. And I remember sitting down with the priest. I don't remember who the priest was, but I just remember sitting down and just saying like, yeah, I haven't been to mass. And gosh, I don't, I don't know when the last time I was at mass and I don't pray, I, you know, all these things. And again, I was, a, I was a good kid. So I didn't have anything like, you know, super problematic to work through. But, but nonetheless, it was like God had no place in my life. 
And, and I remember at that retreat that I, I just made this decision, like, I didn't know that we were supposed to go to Mass every weekend. I didn't know that, that we were supposed to go to confession regularly. I, I didn't know any of this was, was really available to me. But now that I know it, I think I'm going to live like this. And it wasn't like, I think I'm going to. It was like, I'm going to live this way. Unfortunately, at that time, I had my driver's license. I was 16. So I went back home, and I just... I knew Mass at the cathedral was at 9 o'clock on Sundays, so I was like, I'm going to Mass. And if my family was traveling or something, I would find an evening Mass. I was just committed to this. Or if it, that wasn't going to work, my family knew that if we were traveling, I was just going to drive separately so that I could do what I needed to do in order to get to Mass. Because, because if this is true, what better place could you imagine being? Like, what would be worth missing out on the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus? You know, like, that was my disposition. It's like, and I wasn't, I wasn't immediately perfect by any means, like by, by no means, and I'm still not perfect, right? Like I still face every day this struggle of my sinfulness, of, of my imperfections, of my natural resistance to things like authority or my natural resistance to surrendering my life to God. But at the, at the same time, I was committed to it, right? I was, I was like, this, this is the only thing that's really worth living for. So there was, there was like immediate growth and immediate change, but then there was also like little steps of growth over time. At, at one point, I remember, I, I had to be confronted with the reality that if a person has a mortal sin on his or her soul, he shouldn't receive communion. And I had mortal sins on my soul. And, and I remember thinking like, well, if this is true, <laughs> I don't want to not receive communion when I come to mass. So I better just go to confession and just not commit those sins again. Again, that was my disposition, and I remember very distinctly, distinctly there was a time when I, I went to confession, and I just knew, this is the last time that I'm going to confess this sin, because there's nothing worth missing out on communion, and I don't want to just pretend like I don't have mortal sin. I don't want to pretend like I don't know the doctrines, or I don't know the teachings, or I don't know the commandments, because I, was, I wasn't raised that way to, to just pretend, and at the same time, I want to receive this, so how about I just do my best to avoid serious sin. That's what I did. And again, it was like, not always easy, but, but it was this commitment of like, Jesus is worth everything, everything. And this, I believe, is, the, is truly the church that Jesus established 2,000 years ago. And so I'm not gonna go looking someplace else. I'm not gonna go trying to fight against 2,000 years worth of history, but instead, I'm just gonna give my life to it. And slowly, the Lord just continues to take over my life. And eventually, as I was in high school, eventually, what happened? Well, my discipleship, which I, I wouldn't have named it that, but my discipleship, my, my bringing every area of my life under the Lordship of Jesus, slowly, that started spilling over into the lives of other people, where I eventually began inviting other people to Mass. Eventually, I began helping at this retreat that I, that I kept going back to. Eventually, I started preaching at it or giving talks at it. My discipleship slowly bled into the lives of other people. Now, why, why am I sharing this? Why am I sharing my story? For a few reasons. One, I think it's really important and helpful for us to know that it's good for us to share our stories. It's good for us to know, how has Jesus come to find me? It's good for you to know, how has Jesus come to find you? And, and have you surrendered to that or have you resisted him? Right, so for me, when I articulate my story, I have to think about those ways that I've surrendered to him, and I also have to think about those ways that maybe I still resist him a little bit. So that's, that's something. But the second thing is this, that I'm convinced of this, that there are more Brians out there. 
Right, my name's Brian, in case you didn't know, right? There are more Brians out there in the world. Maybe there are more Brians in the church here, people who, who hear me talking and talking and talking and talking and talking, week after week after week. And, and maybe you're, you're still resisting. Maybe some of you are finding yourself saying, like, gosh, I've never, I've never heard this before. I've never been taught this way before. And maybe some of you are saying, like, gosh, maybe I need to change my life. Maybe you do. I don't know. But what I am convinced of is that there are more Brians out there, and we got to find them. Not because Brian is so special, but because Brian, as person, as generic person, Jesus wants to come and find to invite him into eternal life, right? Like, this is, this is what we're talking about when we talk about our gospel today. What does he do? Jesus, crucified and risen from the dead, he appears to his disciples and he says to them, all power has been given to me. Go, therefore, right? He sends out his disciples with his power and with his authority to do what? To make disciples, to baptize people, yes, but also to do what? To teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, he says. This we call is the great commissioning. Jesus is commissioning us, co-mission. He's inviting us, his church, into his mission. What's his mission? To save the world. What's his mission? To save individual people from going to eternal damnation. Right? Like this, this is the incredible thing of the good news, this, this image that I, I keep referring back to, right? So we, we believe that we live our lives here on this earth, right? This little yellow piece of tape. But then we believe that after we die, our, our existence goes on and on and on and on. It doesn't stop. It keeps going. And we believe as Christians, as Catholic Christians, that before Jesus came, the rest of our existence after the tape was destined there was no other option. It was destined for misery and pain and loneliness. But now that Jesus has come and died for us, died for you and for me and risen from the dead, now that Jesus has conquered death, we believe that we have a chance. We have a hope that our eternity, our forever, can be more incredible than anything we could possibly imagine on this earth. This is the good news of the gospel. And Jesus invites us into that mission to go and tell people about it. But not just to tell people about it, but, but what? To, to accept it. Because Jesus knows not all are going to accept it. We know this. We all know people in our lives. Maybe, again, some people in this church, perhaps even some coming to Mass week after week after week. Some may be visiting, whatever. We know there are lots of people who don't accept the gospel. Because to believe in Jesus is not just to say that you believe in him. To believe in Jesus is to let your life be changed by him in such a way that you live differently, in such a way that you fully surrender yourself to his lordship. Now, now, now listen, listen to the way that Jesus talks about this, right? He knows that not all are going to accept it. He knows that not all are going to, that, that some, in fact, are going to reject it, but not even just some. Listen to what Jesus says in the gospel of Matthew chapter 7. He says this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Many and few. But the many are not those, Jesus says, the many are not those who will be saved. But instead, the many are those who go the way of destruction. We tend to think of hell as, as like, oh, the place for Hitler or Stalin. No, you don't understand what Jesus is talking about, right? I was a good kid, but I was on the way to destruction. 
And Jesus came to find me, to pull me out of that, to invite me to the way of life. Later on in the Gospel of Luke, listen to what Jesus says. Someone comes up to Jesus, one of his followers, and says, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Right? He's asking this question, how many is it, Lord, that will go to heaven? Is it going to be a lot? Is it going to be just a few? Like, how many? Jesus actually gives an answer. He says this, strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. These are the words of Jesus, not the words of Father Brian. Right? If it was up to me, I'd say, no, like, let's get as many in as possible, right? In some ways, Jesus says the same thing, but, but his understanding of what's possible, it depends a lot on our response. Right? And so, so when he's talking about this, when he's inviting us into his mission, he's inviting us first and foremost to choose the narrow way, which, which is hard, yes, which, which means like, you know, there were times, there were times in my life when I've had to make real sacrifice, right? Like traveling with family, I had to take a separate vehicle so that I could get to mass. There were times in my life where I had to say no to myself to certain things that I would love to do, but knowing that doing those things would remove me from receiving Holy Communion at mass, I just... I had to choose the hard way. But, but again, just like consider this, right? What, what good news that, that the hard way here during this little part of my life is going to result in an eternal inheritance of life, of, of joy, of gladness, you know? Like what won't be worth it to sacrifice for the sake of following the Lord Jesus, right? So that's the first thing he invites us to do, right? This is what we call discipleship to actually surrender to Jesus and live your life differently for him under his lordship. But then from there, as a disciple, to go and make more disciples, to go out into the world and find more Brians, and to tell them perhaps about things that they've just never heard, to teach them that, that there's a better way, that it's not just a better way, but the, the way is to come through Jesus into eternal life. And that, yes, sometimes that's hard and difficult, but, but the result, the end gain, the, the, the return on investment is, is unmatched by anything this world can offer because all this world offers is right here. Right? That's, that's why I share this. Now, now, the last thing is this. Some parishes, uh, maybe you've seen this before, some parishes, Catholic parishes, other Christian parishes, have things called mission statements. Right? So a mission statement is like something that summarizes the, the sort of disposition of an entire community. As far as I know, we don't, we don't have a mission statement here, but, and, and th that's okay, I'm not like super big on them. But, but just imagine, like, what, if, what if we had a mission statement that was just really simple? You know, like someone comes up to you and just like, what do you guys do over at St. Clement's? Well, this is what we do. We're a community that just spends a lot of time looking at the other side of the rope. They're like, what the heck is the rope? What are you talking about? It's like, well, that's a great question. I brought this rope along with me to illustrate for you like what I'm talking about. Or like, what if we all had like tiny little ropes that we carry, you know, like, so we could tell people about eternity. That's what we do here. We think about eternity and we let all of our decisions be based on eternity. Even if sometimes those decisions are hard and sometimes those decisions require sacrifice, we're always thinking about eternity, and so we're willing to make the sacrifice. We're willing to embrace what's hard for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Again, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because this is the way to heaven. That's what we do at St. Clement's. Or what if we said, you know what? We're, we're a community of disciples of Jesus, people who, who reside under the lordship of Jesus. No matter how many times we want to crawl out from that lordship, we pull ourselves right back under his lordship, and we're a community of disciples that are always looking to make more disciples of Jesus. We're just looking to invite people. Do you want to come with me? What if that was our mission statement? What if it's just simple, like we're a community that's looking for Brian in the world? 
because he's lost. And he needs someone to instruct him. He needs somebody to invite him into this incredible life. Like, this is, the, this is, this is what the Christian life is all about, you guys. There's, there's so many people in our world. Just look at the world. There's so many people in our world that are lost. And, and it's for you to go and find them. Yes, I have a role to play in the church, right? The, the, the church has leadership, absolutely. But, but the leadership of the church is only, it's, it's limited. You have a role to play. It's not the same as my role. Your role is to go and find Brian. You say, like, what the heck are you doing, man? Come and, come and join us, right? I've got something that's going to change your life. I've got something that, that can give you new life. Life that's eternal, life that this world can't offer. Let's be that community. That community that, that both becomes disciples, but then goes and makes disciples. So we can invite more and more people into the kingdom.